Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. Today's episode features the return of Dr. Jason Von Stietz. Jason has a PhD in clinical psychology and is a licensed psychologist who specializes in OCD, insomnia, and sports psychology, helping with team building and mental skills training for collegiate athletes. We had Jason on Strange New Worlds over three years ago on episode 62, where we talked about the sports psychology of Star Trek, from Picard and Guinan's fencing bouts to that Deep Space Nine baseball team. But since then, we've had a deluge of new Star Trek premiere on Paramount+. Plus. So Jason is back with us to discuss some of the psychological themes in Star Trek Lower Decks, which we'll cover today, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which we'll do in the next episode. This is going to be a blast. Warp me. Dr. Jason Von Stietz, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. This is awesome. Last time we had you aboard, it was way back in the before times, 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. were in the midst of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Believe it or not, at that period in time, we just had one Star Trek show to watch on the air, just Discovery, but... Fast forward three years to now, and we've got Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, and not to mention Discovery is still going strong. As mm -hmm. a fan of Star Trek, as I, as I know you are a huge fan, how have you been enjoying this renaissance, this golden era of Star Trek on streaming TV? Oh, man, it's been amazing. I, I've been having a lot of fun um, getting to see um, some of my old heroes back on uh I don't know if silver screen is the right word. I think that's <laughs> I think that's a term. Or uh, depends how fancy your your setup is in your house, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know if there's a new term for for streaming now. Is silver screen or platinum screen or something like that? But but it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing Picard, seeing Riker, seeing these new characters. Um, like in Lower Decks, seeing and actually seeing the old characters too in Lower Decks. Lots of different uh, random characters are showing up in ways that I wouldn't have expected. Oh man, I wish I could remember the uh, character's name now who had one small part in Next Gen. I think maybe she spilled some coffee. Oh on... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it Sonia Gomez? I think. Yeah. So I think Ensign, so. All the way back in TNG, spilled some coffee mm -hmm. on Picard. Or was it hot chocolate? I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then came back as a captain in Lower Decks. That mm -hmm. was so wonderful. Yeah, that, that was amazing. And then seeing uh, Captain Pike, who we kind of got a sense of in the old episodes, but not too much. And then now seeing him uh, much more fleshed out, and he's quickly becoming one of my favorites. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just... All of the Star Trek out there right now is really fun. Sometimes it's hit and miss, but I, I still enjoy it. I still have fun. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I've been having a blast uh, just watching it each week as it comes out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel the same way about all of these legacy characters that we get to explore. They become much more well-rounded individuals when we talk about people like Captain Pike or Nurse Chapel or even Uhura. You know, we get a lot more 
from her in Strange New Worlds than I feel like she was ever given in the original series. Uh, and then, like you said, in Lower Decks and, of course, in Star Trek Picard, we're just mm -hmm. getting all of these characters that we grew up with and really loved watching in the 90s. And um, to see them back in action is just so fun. Yeah, it's been amazing. And even Lower Decks, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Next Generation is Lower Decks. So seeing ah. that really fleshed out and just seeing what they're going through and, and the difference between what they experience and what the bridge officers experiences has been a lot of fun. Well, speaking of Lower Decks, let's just dive into our first yeah. topic, which is about the Lower Decks episode called Crisis Point. So this is mm -hmm. season one, episode nine, and it's the episode in which Ensign Beckett Mariner has some unique form of therapy. So mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just to recap this episode for our listeners, this is the one that begins with some friction between Mariner and her mom, Captain Freeman. Mm -hmm. Actually, come to think of it, most episodes have some right. friction between <laughs> Mariner and her mom. Right. Uh, but this is the one where Mariner does something very good-hearted but totally against orders on an alien planet at the top of the episode. And Captain Freeman orders Mariner to go get some professional help and sends her daughter to therapy with Counselor Miglimo. Now, Mariner doesn't want to go to therapy. She even says, you think I need therapy? It's the 80s, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have psychiatric problems. Hey, you are way out of bounds here. They're eating those guys. What am I supposed to do? Report it to me. Now I have to explain why there's an interspecies war on a planet that was peaceful yesterday. Oh, so you're yelling at me for spreading freedom because you don't feel like filing a report? Ah! Mariner, I swear if you weren't my daughter, you'd be off the Cerritos. If I wasn't your daughter, you wouldn't be such a bitch all the time. That's it. That's it. When we get back to the ship, you are going straight to... Yeah, yeah, I know. Straight to the brig. Shocker. Oh, you're not going to the brig. You're going to therapy. What? You think I need therapy? What? That's... No! no it's the 80s, dude. We don't have psychiatric problems. You're a loose cannon. I don't care how many lizards you save. You need professional help. Dr. Miglimo? Oh, he's the worst counselor in the fleet. He just tosses out nonstop food metaphors. That's an order, Ensign. Freeman to Cerritos. One to Bimo. Uh, I don't need therapy! I think this reaction from Mariner kind of underscores the prevailing negative perception of right. therapy in our society. You know, right. I'm really wondering, as a psychologist, do you find that some people are really reluctant to go to therapy because doing so basically is admitting to yourself that you've got mental health issues, which people perceive as just not cool? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it is getting better, uh, but there is still a stigma attached to therapy or mental health issues in general. But th that stigma is getting better. This younger generation is seeking out therapy more. They're more aware of mental health issues and uh, college counseling centers are being utilized more. I'm not on TikTok, but I've heard there's a lot of mental health awareness on TikTok. Uh, some of the advice given is helpful. Some of the advice given on TikTok is not very helpful, <laughs> but but it does kind of show you that things are changing. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, if we look back maybe 80 years, 100 years, there's that kind of stereotypical tough guy who won't even go to the doctors because 
he doesn't need help. There's nothing wrong with him. So he's not going to go for a physical exam. And uh, there's oftentimes there still can be that stigma and misunderstanding that if you go to the doctors, you go in fine, and then you leave with cancer. And, you know, we know that that's not what really happened. You know, someone already has that sickness and then they find out. And then now that they know that they find out they can get help for it. So there's more awareness about physical health and that same process is starting to happen with mental health too, where people are no longer thinking or, or they're, they're not nearly thinking as much as they used to that, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. And then you go into see a psychologist and the psychologist tells you that you have X, Y, and Z and in all these problems. Um, now there is this growing awareness that everybody has stress that they can help get help uh, managing and everybody at one point or another will maybe go through a bout of depression or maybe have some anxiety and just like you get a, a the common cold or just like how you can pull a muscle or or sprain an ankle you can experience uh, an emotional trauma and then getting help for that is, is great. It, it's, it's not a negative. It, it helps you to function and feel better about how you're doing and, and to find more meaning in life and live life more the way that you would want to. How do you think that society as a whole and we as members of society can help speed up this process of changing the way that therapy is seen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as far as, you know, mental health among athletes, there's been some recent events where really high profile athletes have uh, taken a mental health day, or they've just let people know that they might be struggling with depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, uh, whatever they're going through. So I think that is really helpful. Yeah, the more people are able to just openly talk about stress, burnout at work, burnout in academia, any kind of issue that they're going through, just openly talk about it and and uh, seek help for it. And, and the help shouldn't necessarily just be mental health professionals, but also, you know, family and community and, you know, building yourself a support system and practicing self-care and not being ashamed about it, but just letting people know, you know, I, I need to go practice some self-care today or, you know, things like that. I think the more we're able to just openly talk about it and actually take action and and live the things that we're saying, the, the more we spread the word and uh, the more other people will feel empowered to do the same. Absolutely. I really think that one of the best pieces of advice I got in grad school was that when um, a fellow grad student comes into your office and you know, asks if you want to go grab a cup of coffee or just take a walk around campus or literally do anything which is not work and not research, mm -hmm go do it, like put everything right. down and, and value that person and the time that you can spend with that person outside of all the work and everything, just lay it down and go be a friend to that person right. because you can, you can literally be, uh, you know, a therapist for five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour um, j just by letting that person vent or complain mm -hmm. about whatever it is in their life. Because in a high stress environment like graduate school, you know, it, it can really build up and get to you and you need little right. outlet valves, right, for this. And I feel like uh, it's really important that your social network 
of peers is there for you. And I, I really feel like uh, what you're saying right now resonates with me on that level mm. of like, oh yeah, I've experienced needing to take that walk with a friend or being mm. you know, asked to take that walk and to get outside. So in this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Mariner takes therapy into her own hands. After a very mm -hmm. unproductive session with counselor Miglimo, <laughs> she decides mm -hmm. to vent her frustration with the crew and with her mom by hijacking Boimler's holodeck simulation of the USS Cerritos crew. So she programs up a movie about the U USS Cerritos, which is just hilarious to me mm -hmm. because <laughs> inside of this movie are a zillion Star Trek movie tropes mm -hmm. like lens flares and warp nacelle mm -hmm. contrails and overly dramatic introductory scenes of the hero mm -hmm. ship. You know, I just love this so much. I think this is why this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks is like my favorite of them all, honestly, because mm. I just can't stop laughing as they mm -hmm. uh, as they show all of these classic Star Trek movie tropes in a Star Trek episode. But that aside, you know, engaging in fantasy, engaging in a creative act, like the act of making a movie, can this be part of therapy? Oh, absolutely. I, I was really impressed um, by, by that episode. I thought it was great. Um, and Mariner got to act out partially her fantasy, partially venting frustration and actually expressing all of the, she got to express all the emotion that she probably wouldn't get to express in, in real life. She got to actually create a character called Vindicta, whose entire point is just to get vengeance because, and, and she, she spells it all out. It was great. She said something like, um, I'm constantly punished for being a free thinker and uh, you just want me to fall in line and you want to control me. And, and she got to actually just put words to all of those feelings that she's been having the whole time. So I thought that was amazing. And in real life, you don't have, we don't have a holodeck, but we can recreate a scenario like this to a degree. Uh, so in therapy, we'll often do role plays where, you know, maybe the person doing therapy can be themselves and um, the therapist can um, be someone who the person getting therapy is very frustrated with, hasn't been able to communicate with, maybe because they're too afraid, maybe because there's some kind of power dynamic, then they could really get in trouble if they ever actually said the things that they want to say. Maybe because it's just not possible because the person, the other person passed away already, or the other person has no interest in therapy and, you know, maybe abused or traumatized um, the person in therapy at some point, and now that person is is just gone, and it would not be helpful to bring that person to therapy anyway, because they're you know they're the abuser, they're not interested in helping. So uh, that can be really really helpful, and um, it can also be helpful in developing skills, just like they do on the holodeck, where you know maybe somebody who's getting therapy has issues with assertive communication. So then they can practice a role play where they're in a stressful situation that they would normally avoid and they can practice using assertive communication. There's just so much usefulness in, in a role play or in recreating some kind of situation just like they did in the holodeck. So I thought, yeah, I thought that was a, a great way to, to work out some kind of uh, mental health issue. 
Oh my goodness. I will never look at role play the same way again, because it's basically going into the holodeck, except you don't mm -hmm. have holodeck technology. So you need another person to, to play all the other characters, but this is right. great. You know, I did want to ask you though, about the holodeck and the use of the holodeck in this particular way. I mean, I, I definitely completely agree with everything that you're saying about the usefulness of role play. But I wonder if Mariner takes a little bit too far because <laughs> she goes and murders her right. holographic crewmates and tries to right. kill her mom. So mm -hmm. I don't know, like it's really fun to see Mariner play villain. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, is it a little bit messed up? Should we be using the holodeck in this way, even if it's therapeutic for you to, you know, go around and kill holographic versions of your friends and colleagues? What did you make of this? <laughs> Yeah, great, great point. Um, yeah, so, th so there's different ways to think about it. I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. So on one hand, actually acting out the thing that is kind of deep inside that you don't want to face can be really, really helpful. And a lot of times, someone can have, you know, these these thoughts that they feel really guilty about that uh, really bother them. And they can try to push those thoughts away, but then the thoughts will just keep coming back. Uh, so, for example, and I'm not sure if this is completely relevant to, to Mariner. Uh, we can't know because, you know, she's a cartoon, so we can't really, we can't <laughs> ask her. But um, a lot of times people will have these intrusive thoughts that really bother them. Um, you know, if somebody has OCD, they might have reoccurring images or thoughts of them doing something that harms somebody else and then they feel really guilty about it and they can really beat themselves up and it can you know have a, a really uh, bad effect on their mental health or just you, your average person who doesn't have OCD will just have the full range of thoughts and um, you know if somebody's holding a baby it's really natural for someone to think oh god what if I drop the baby or you know what if I actually did something on purpose to hurt the baby or you know these these are these are just random thoughts that most people pretty much everybody will have at some time you just imagine oh what what if this happened and that can be really you know anxiety provoking for people because then they can think oh, well I just had this really scary thought oh my god what if I really did that and then now going into the holodeck and actually seeing that that play out can actually be you know really relieving for people because it's it's something that they don't want to do at all that is just in the back of their mind popping out at them and then when they actually see it play out in real life it can take the power away from those thoughts so you know if somebody with OCD doesn't actually want to hurt anybody. It's terrifying to them. They're the last person who would ever act out those thoughts, but they keep coming back. So then they think, oh, I must be a bad person. Why are these thoughts happening to me? But then if you approach the thing that you've been wanting to avoid and just really sit with it and sit with those feelings and see all the things that you didn't want to see, well, then it really loses all its power and it stops being a big deal and then you can kind of move on from it so that that is um part of what could happen if mariner had ocd if she had uh, intrusive unwanted thoughts and then also let's say she doesn't have those things and then she actually acts out the things that she has been thinking that she wants to do then just like you're saying she could go 
whoa, that was messed up. I don't actually want to do any of this. You know, what was I thinking now that I kind of acted that out and expressed those emotions? Okay, now I'm ready to move on. Yeah, and I feel like this process helped her realize kind of the underlying issue between Mariner and her mom is that she's always feeling like she's being treated as the bad guy, right? For having Mm -hmm. innovative ideas and unorthodox solutions to everyday Starfleet dilemmas. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this kind of situation has got to come up on teams and in workplaces all the time. Like if you were on a sports team and somebody just wasn't feeling valued for being Mm -hmm. themselves for what they're trying to contribute to the team, how would you deal with this kind of situation where somebody feels a little bit out of place just because they're just, they're trying to do a good thing, but in their own way, which is a little bit different from the norm? Right. Great question. And um, when we think back to that episode, again, Mariner really spells it out. Well, she's celebrating breaking the prime directive and, and freeing, you know, that um, uh, oppressed people on that planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says something like she's talking about her mom and she says, oh, usually my mom's really disappointed in me. But this time she's going to be pumped. I rooted out injustice, you know, I, I helped save this oppressed society or, or this oppressed group of people in a society, you know, she's going to be so happy. And then she sees mom or ca- captain, captain mom, and captain <laughs> mom says, what, what were you thinking? You broke the prime directive. You know, we're not supposed to interfere. This goes against Starfleet values. Uh, so that, that can be really common. Uh, values can conflict with each other. On one hand, of course, you know, Starfleet officers value freedom, helping, justice, all those things. But then they also value the prime directive and allowing less technologically advanced civilizations um, kind of sort out their own issues and then come to the table when, when that civilization is ready. Because And it, it's complicated. And of course, you want to jump in and help that. But trying to fix something like that can have unintended consequences. That's, that's what um, Star Trek, you know, often tells you. So yeah, so something like this could definitely play out in any, you know, soccer team, football team, any, any sports team, any group of people working together to achieve a, a common goal. One thing that can be really helpful is to, you know, figure out what the values are of the team, and then uh, figure out, what your values are as an individual, or if you're helping someone else, help them to figure out what their values are, and then connect those values to each other. Because, you know, sometimes they don't line up perfectly, sometimes they do. And then figure out what are the consistent actions that you should be doing, Um, you know, maybe coming up with a mission statement, and then getting everybody on board, like we value this, Therefore, you know, our mission is to do these specific actions to bring out this shared goal that we have and and live our values all together. And it can take a lot of work because people don't always agree. People can have the same values, but then apply it differently. But spending a lot of time communicating, figuring things out can then save a lot of a lot of hassle down the road. So just just a lot of communication is is mainly what I'm getting at, talking about values and and missions and just really getting on the same page there. 
I really love what you're saying about sometimes there just are conflicting values. Like in Mariner's mm. case, she really values justice and freeing this oppressed people. And she'll do mm. it by whatever means is necessary. We've seen this time and time again from Mariner, even the, in the mm. first episode of Lower Decks, where she's just taking that Argo off on her own and delivering uh, supplies to these farmers, um, you know, without any kind of authorization or anything, because she knows that those people will not be helped through traditional Starfleet protocols. And yet there are those protocols too, which like you said, are in place because they are aimed at helping the greater good. And sometimes you just got to leave a planet alone. So yeah, I, I can definitely see how a lot of communication is required to resolve conflicting values and to convince people that they're really on the same team and not get entrenched in little pieces of the puzzle and to see the bigger picture. Right. Absolutely. So in this episode's climax, the holographic Mariner kind of swings to the rescue and Mm -hmm. Mariner playing Vindicta is forced to fight her holographic self. Oh, great. Well, now it's just us. Yeah, thanks for ruining the awesome captain murder this was all building to. We were supposed to fight on a rickety metal catwalk. Oh, let me make it up to you. Double punch! (gasps) Double block! Whoa, how did you... I know all your moves and everything about you. (gasps) I know you dressed up like Toby Targ every Halloween, even when you were too old. (laughs) And I know you actually love the warp core. Take that back. The warp core's lame. You only break rules because you know that's what everyone expects you to do. If you really were a badass, you'd do the hard thing and just be a good officer. They're not casting you as the villain. You are. And so Mm -hmm. through this experience, Mariner kind of discovers that the problem lies with herself as much as it lies with her mom's treatment of her. And moreover, she discovers that she actually really likes working on the ship and working with her best friends and that she deep down, although she may not admit it to herself very often, really appreciates what her mom is doing for her career. And at the end of the episode, she just raises both fists in the air and says, <laughs> therapy works. Um, so I think that this episode, you know, kind of really shows that even if you don't think therapy is for you, it could have some really unexpected benefits. So my last question about this episode for you, Jason, is how would you advise someone in the real world about when is the right time to start therapy? I would say um, if you're thinking about getting therapy, if you're thinking that you might need it, just just go get therapy. One of the things that often happens is people want to handle something on their own. They want to tough it out. They want to be mentally strong. Or maybe they just think that their problems aren't very big. Other people have it worse. I don't want to take up um space that other people could be taking up that need it more and then they wait till the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then finally they're in a crisis they're having panic attacks they're burnt out and they want to quit their job they're ready to quit school they they waited so long that now this problem that was small and manageable at one point and they thought it was too small too manageable i could just do it on my own now it's this huge crisis that is going to take a lot of time and effort to work through 
and and you know if you're if you're in that crisis definitely go to therapy don't feel guilty like now you need to just work it out on your own even more like no go go to therapy if you're in a crisis and and also if you're starting to feel burnt out and you're starting to feel like do i need therapy i don't know maybe go to therapy that that's a great time and then we can work on stress management we can work on life changes before the problems are so big that now you're in a crisis and you can you can cut out a lot of the suffering um, and a lot of yeah just a lot of the turmoil that you're going to end up in that doesn't need to happen you can do a lot more preventative work and yeah that that's great you don't need to wait until you broke an arm to to go get a physical exam you can get a physical exam once a year and then just stay healthy absolutely that's mm-hmm. something that i really love about this TNG era of Star Trek, um, which you know, I think includes lower decks, right? Mm-hmm. That they have counselors front and center. You know, like Deanna Troy mm-hmm. sat next to Captain Picard on the bridge. And that's really powerful because Starfleet, especially the crew of the Enterprise, is the top of the top, right? They are the mm-hmm. best people at their jobs in the galaxy. And right. they acknowledge that their jobs are stressful and that they need counseling they need therapy uh and that mental health plays such a central role and i think lower decks is falling right in line with that tradition of really Mm -hmm. highlighting the importance of mental health so let's move on to our next subject which is the lower decks episode i excretus that's season two episode eight and in this episode the uss cerritos is visited by a starfleet drill instructor who tests the crew's performance in various situations. And uh, the lower deckers get to try command level scenarios Mm -hmm. while the senior crew gets lower deck duties. So, uh, man, I just love this episode too, (laughs) because all of the simulated scenarios that the crew has to encounter in these, uh, I I don't know, like holodeck pods that they go into to get tested, they're all touchstones to former Star Trek episodes. Jason, did you have a favorite amongst the bunch? I loved uh, Boimler um, going through the the Borg drill. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you do just in in sport in general, and I guess in in any type of performance, you do want to train for the situations that you're going to be in. And the more variety and training you could get, the more, yeah, just the more obstacles you can overcome, the better. You know, um, you'll be more prepared in case in case anything comes up. And and all the drills were kind of too hard in a sense mm-hmm. and then boimler his uh you know perfectionism which is unhealthy really paid off in in this episode so um it's kind of a double-edged sword where it shows you you know there are specific instances where being a perfectionist and doing something over and over and over again even though the standard is way too high will lead to success mm. but even in that same episode by the by the end of the drill um at the end of the episode boimler is completely taken over by the borg <laughs> he he no longer knows that he's um in a simulation and he's still only thinking about his score. Like, did I get a hundred percent? Like, yes, Boimler. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Good job, buddy. Um, so, yeah. so it 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 really shows you that um, it's counterproductive. It you know there are really specific you know really tiny situations where that level of perfectionism pays off, 
but it takes a huge toll on you. It takes a huge toll on you. And really, it doesn't necessarily translate into better performance as an officer, at least to the level that Boimler took it. But if we just go back to regular helpful drills, I do think um, holodeck simulations like that are are really helpful. And the more variety and more challenges you can face, the better. So you guys, I want to ask a follow-up, which is, say you were on the crew of the Cerritos mm-hmm. as one of the counselors and mm-hmm. you had a session with Boimler. What would you say to him? So one of the, I would want to know, you know how much time he's spending thinking about certain issues, you know, like advancement and um, doing things 100% perfectly and all that. And then I would want to know more about the toll that it's taking on him. You know, is he having trouble sleeping? Is he suffering from anxiety just all day long because he's constantly trying to do things perfectly and thinking 10 steps ahead and all this stuff? And that that really showed in, in the previous episode that we talked about where he created that whole hologram simulation yeah. with private data from other people, which uh-huh. is already really problematic. Yeah. And his whole point was, how do I have a good interview so that I can get a promotion? Uh-huh. Like that was his whole point. How can I mine for data and find out what kind of cookies Captain likes? And, <laughs> and then he says, he says something great too in, one, in that episode where he says, Captain, where do you want me to see myself in five years? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, yeah. Yeah, so it's taking a huge toll on him. And maybe it's helping a little bit. And it did really help in that hologram simulation where he got a hundred or tried to get a hundred percent with the Borg, but most of the time it's taking a huge toll on him. So then I would want to do experiments with him, do little um, social experiments where we say, okay, you know, instead of quadruple checking something, what if you just checked it once? And then, you know, when you walk away from it, you're going to feel anxiety. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to want to go back. But what if you just moved on to the next activity? And then chances are that task that he did is still going to turn out great and he'll have anxiety, but then the anxiety will go away sooner or later. And then when he keeps applying that to his life more and more, and he spends less time quadruple checking and doing things exactly perfectly and mining everyone's data so that he can find out how they want him to answer two or three questions, then that's going to really open up his life. And he'll actually perform better because he's not spending all of that time just double checking over and over again and trying to answer one or two questions perfectly. He'll actually just do what he thinks is best and focus on his performance. And then that's he's going to be much more valuable as a Starfleet officer when he's doing that, when he's thinking for himself and, and not just stuck in anxiety. That is such a great point because he definitely got 100% on that Borg simulation, but it was a really contrived kind of scenario Mm -hmm. in which all of that repeated effort really Mm -hmm. paid off. It was only in this particular scenario where the drills were a setup honestly, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get the crew to fail so that the drill instructor could prove that the drills were even worth anything anymore. And, you know, this very specific setup where as long as one drill was still going, the crew scores weren't finalized. Um, and so his repeated mm-hmm. effort paid <laughs> off there. But what you bring up with this idea of if you stopped being a perfectionist about one thing, 
you could be great at many different things, you know, not mm -hmm. perfect, but great still. And right. so maybe Boimler would have gotten 93% on the Borg, but then 93% on the Western and 93% right. on the save the Enterprise from blowing up because there is a core breach and 93% mm -hmm. on the Naked Time episode. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, he could have he could have bossed all of them. And we never got to see that because he was just so fixated on one scenario. You only have so much time and only so much energy. I'll talk about OCD just a little bit uh, again. Uh, uh, there's something called just right OCD, where somebody has to do something over and over again until they have this feeling that it's it's finally just right, just the way they want it. But my guess is that that feeling is actually arbitrary and you end up doing something over and over again. And then all of a sudden you get a random emotional experience. And if you can just feel uncomfortable, let yourself feel uncomfortable, let your let your brain tell you that you didn't do it just right, and then still move on to the next thing and, and do a good job at that, regardless of the emotional experience you're having or regardless of the doubt that that you're having you're going to do way better. You're going to, you're going to perform much better uh, at whatever you're doing, which could be all of those different uh, training situations. So as we mentioned, the drills were just a setup. Um, there was a whole plot twist, but the side effect of doing all of these drills was that everyone on the ship appreciated how hard everyone else's job was right. that it's, you know, not worth the pesto to put it in mm -hmm. Tendi's words. So when you think about real life team building, whether it's in sports or workplace or anything else, how can drills be used to build empathy across, especially across strata of, you know, hierarchy right. and help people appreciate each other's jobs when they're very different? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. Uh, that is something that stood out to me. Uh, in the episode, and that definitely plays out in real life. And we've seen, you know, sitcoms throughout all of history address that. On I Love Lucy, uh, they did an episode where Lucy and Ethel had to go out and get jobs, and Ricky er, and uh, Fred uh, took care of the house. At the end, they find out, oh, everything was hilarious, and, uh, and now we appreciate each other that much more. And we've seen that in all kinds of different uh, sitcoms and movies. And, and, it, and there's a lot of truth to it that, you know, someone often is really focused on their challenges, their stress, their problems, and they don't uh, really appreciate uh, other people's situation. I could be getting my terminology wrong, but I think in social psychology, there's something called the actor-observer bias. Another way of talking about that same thing uh, there was a comedian, George Carlin, one of the best comedians of all time. He would say something like, um, have you ever noticed that everybody who drives slower than you is an idiot and everybody who drives faster than you is crazy? And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's the, the actor observer bias. I'm doing something. I'm acting because I have to, because of the situation, because it's the right thing to do. And when I observe you, you're doing something because you're a bad person, 
because you're you don't care because you know because of some kind of flaw or you're you or because something is your fault it's like Um, you're you observe inherent flaws in other people whereas when when you make a mistake or something like that it wasn't inherent that was just like oh i was having a bad day you mm -hmm. know i'm not really a bad person yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how it plays out. And I, there are um, some really helpful training exercises that can help people to build empathy and understand other people. And exactly what they did in the episode was great. Having the commanding officers or the bridge officers go through all the same tasks that the lower deck officer are they officers or what lower decks crew would have to do um you know there's there's a huge crisis klingons are boarding the ship or whatever's going on and then their role in that problem is picking up the barrels that fell on the ground and <laughs> yeah i love that <laughs> and they have no communication they they don't get any details about what's going on they're just completely in the dark they're hearing scary sounds out in the hallway and uh, they're just there picking up barrels and stacking them. Really? There are Klingons on the other side of the hall and this is our job? You son of a... Oh, if they wanted us to stack these, then why are they shaped like this? Quick, see the Q come through here. Q is on the ship? Forget I said anything. Commander, wait! We're Starfleet officers. We can help you. Just tell us what... Get to battle stations! Damn it! Aha! I got it! I can think of a a couple other interventions that I haven't done myself, but I've heard. Um, I was at a conference a while back and I heard about uh, someone who was working with police officers, maybe it was a SWAT team or something like that. And there was like this team cohesion problem where the higher ranked officers and the lower ranked officers weren't getting along. So then one of the the drills that the person had them do was have the lower ranks instruct the higher ranks on like assembling the rifles or something like that and talk to them the exact same way that they talk to you oh, and wow. yeah there was a lot of condescension there was a lot of uh, name calling there was a lot of hostility and then afterward, and this is probably the most important part, afterward, they debriefed. So you can't just do that and then leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, now that they experienced it, okay, now we got to talk about it. You know, yeah. what was that like for you? What do you think it's like for them when when you talk to them that way? What do you think uh, will be helpful in the future? You know, we see that this isn't working. You, They don't like it. You don't like it. What, what can we do better uh, in the future? And that's, I thought that was a great exercise. And then I'll just name one more. This was, you know, kind of a a business exercise, but I heard uh, someone say that a CEO of a company should still spend, you know, two hours a week answering phones and doing customer service. And then that helps them to understand how the employees are being treated. That helps them to know what the customer experience is like. It gives them way more of an idea of what's actually going on in the company. And then they can actually address the problems instead of uh, being out of touch and just only having their perspective and uh, not being able to address what the rest of the company is seeing as, as the real problems. Sherry Yenyem is no longer working for Starfleet. Apparently, she stepped down because of on-the-job stress. Feels good ruining a jerk's career. Agreed. And there was one thing she did manage to teach us today. 
Oh, new replicator? Let's just say we experienced what the lower decks have been eating and noticed it could use some improvement. We updated this one with most of the senior officer menu codes. We got pesto! If you're going to be facing danger on a daily basis, might as well get the good stuff. Thanks, guys. Oh, this is really nice. Oh, oh, does it make the lobster mac and cheese with the bread on top? Sounds like the one thing the Borg left you with was your appetite. <laughs> oh, they took everything that I was. That was Dr. Jason Von Steetz on some of the psychological themes from Star Trek Lower Decks. Throughout its first two seasons, Lower Decks has explored a lot of mental health issues, many of which we didn't get to chat about today. If you want to have Jason back on Strange New Worlds to chat about something else that we've seen in Lower Decks, you can tweet at him at CBT Sport Psych and our show at Science of Trek. I think it's great that this series gets the show, this unkempt, uncertain, frantic, stressed-out side of Starfleet, because, hey, being in space is really stressful, and Star Trek Lower Decks is all about early-career Starfleet officers who are trying to figure out how to make it amongst the stars. And that's why I think it speaks to me so much. I've got a little bit of Boimler's excessive perfectionism, Mariner's insecure rebelliousness, Rutherford's good-hearted forgetfulness, and Tendi's enthusiastic naivety in me. And figuring out how to balance all of those emotions in my job is a real task. One, perhaps, that is worthy of a little therapy. We'll be tackling some of the psychological themes in Star Trek Strange New Worlds next time, right here on Strange New Worlds, your science and Star Trek podcast. Until then, see you out there. And Captain Mom says, what? What were you thinking? You broke the Prime Directive. You know, we're not supposed to interfere. This goes against Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Wow. Star- <laughs> 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 this goes against Starfleet values. Uh-